Listen, John 15 is where we are at this morning, and Jesus said something to his disciples, and I want you to think of how you would finish this sentence. One of the challenges sometimes we have as a Christian, and maybe a longtime churchgoer, is we already know the end of the story, and that's not how we live life. We don't know the end of the story. Um, And so sometimes our brains can sort of pre-fill in what goes on, but just listen to what Jesus said. Um. He says, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that, dot, dot, dot. Jesus came and lived on planet earth in human form and said tons of things. We have many of them written in the gospels, but that's not all that he said. But he says, I said all these things so that. And how would, you, how would you finish that sentence? Like, just think in your mind for a second. What is the point of it all? Like, where is this all going? Maybe some in here would say, well, he said all these things so that we could be productive members of society or helpful to the kingdom. Maybe he said all of these things so that we would stay out of trouble. Maybe Jesus came on planet Earth and said all these things so that we could get to heaven. I don't know how you would finish the sentence, but Jesus finishes it this way. In John 15, 11, he says this, so that they would be filled with my joy. I came and said all these things to them so that they, the people I was talking to, would be filled with my joy. That's a really stunning thing, and it makes me think this, that all this stuff that's going on, all these words, all the time we spend in here, the destination is joy? How many distractions and sort of detours do we make our life about? How many things are we pointed to that are sort of in the wrong direction? Here's one more. Jesus says, I came all this way to you. That's from his rightful place in heaven to be here on planet earth so you can really live. I came to give you life abundant. So pair these two ideas together. He came to give us abundant life. He said all these things to us so we'd be filled up with joy. I don't know what's on your Christmas list this year, but think about the abundant, joyful life. Like if you could really take hold of that and tonight lay your head on a pillow as an abundant, joy-filled person. That's what Jesus says he came to do and to give. I would say this, because of the detours and distractions that come at us, that we all need guidance in some way. Today, this morning, afresh, we need guidance. We need to remember. We need to sort of get back on track with some things. In the identity that Jesus tells us about today, we see the importance not only of starting with Jesus, but the importance of staying with Jesus. Starting is important. Staying is important. Camden and Ava, I got to talk with them this week. 
this is a picture of their wedding in Sausalito. And uh, it was a stunning event. It was really spectacular to be there. And they did something really powerful at their first dance. And that is that they invited all of the married couples onto the dance floor. They just said, if, you've, if you're married, come and, come and uh, dance with us. And so uh, people went out there. And then the host, the DJ, said, okay, um, if you've been married less than a day, leave the dance floor. <laughs> so Camden and Ava, of course, stepped off of the dance floor. And then they just began to go up from there. There was a lot of young couples there, a lot of young friends, and so it probably started at two years, and so they sort of dispersed in five years. And uh, Becky and I were there. Uh, Chuck and Sharon were there. Actually, the childs were there too, but I remember being with uh, Adam Silver. We're still there. Like, we're past 20. We're past 25. But then it trickled down to where there was one couple left on the dance floor, and this is uh, Ava's grandparents from France. And they've been married for 60 years. And here's what was so amazing, is as they were dancing on the dance floor and everyone else sort of dispersed, it was this radiant moment. And in a packed house, all eyes were fixed on them. And if you watch them, their eyes were fixed on each other. And if you had eyes to see, you saw something really, really beautiful going on. That is that there's a beauty of a different kind and quality at the nearing the end of a marriage than there is at the beginning. There's, there's no doubt there's a radiance and beauty and glory to a young couple standing there pledging their love. But there's a different kind of beauty and glory that comes decades from that moment. You saw that real love grows over time and testing. Can you imagine what 60 years has produced in testing? And by virtue of the fact that they're dancing on the dance floor after 60 years, it means this, they've passed the test. They didn't flunk out. They stayed. You also saw that its value, there's things that have its value revealed more and more as the end draws near. What we saw on the dance floor is a display of inner flourishing, catch this, that doesn't necessarily wow the senses, but it wows the soul. Their dancing wasn't magnificent. We didn't wow at just what they were pulling off. And they're older people, so we didn't marvel at their perfectly smooth young skin or whatever else, but we still marveled. It it wowed our soul. Thinking about Camden and Ava, essentially that day began a job for them to do, and that is to remain. Not just start well, but to stay together. They made vows that day, and their challenge then is to live in love so that in 60 years, in 70 years, they would be that radiant couple on the dance floor. Vow-making is important. Vow-keeping is vital. One of the things I say at weddings sometimes is this. Nothing, nothing is easier than making vows today, and sometimes nothing is harder than continuing to say I do in the days and years ahead. I don't know if you know this, but history ends with a wedding, 
a wedding banquet, a feast, a party, and you are invited to it. Go read the book of Revelation sometime this week. That's where this is all heading to. And here's how you get there. You get there by abiding, by remaining in Jesus. One of the things we just did with communion is we renewed our vows in a sense. It's like date night. It's just sitting and remembering and saying, yes, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. And this is who I want the very most. So today we're looking at and learning uh, from the one who knows who we are, who we are. And again, it's taking this idea of Jesus asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? And flipping that around on Jesus himself. Jesus, who is it that you say that I am? Because I've got a lot of voices coming at me. That's the one that's most important. Because of our warped world and our warped soul, we need a corrected view, a right understanding. You know this, but there is lots of things out there and in here to disorient us, to get us off track. The good news is that God knows and he tells us. The truth we hear today is from the mouth of Jesus, so we'd expect nothing less than this, but it is as simple as it is profound. And if you sit with any of these identities that the Bible tells us who we are, there, there are just sort of layers of goodness and depth to it. Here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to think like a pastor for a minute, okay? If you were doing a series where you were teaching your church, or just reminding your church about who we are in Christ, I want you to think of all the things you know of from the Bible, all the different sort of identities that we're told that we are, and turn to your neighbor and, and share what, what some of those identities might be. So go right now. If you don't know each other, introduce yourself really quick. We're going to take about 45 seconds with this, so get to it quick. If you haven't switched, switch it up. 15 seconds. All right. a bunch of people that think like pastors. You're like, I know how to do this thing right. You guys should just send these ideas in. All right, let's hear what, um, what are some of the ones that you came up? What are some of the other identities uh, that might be helpful, beneficial to teach and talk about? Anyone want to share? Shoot your hand up so I can see you and we can call it out. Chris, a survivor. Okay. Saved. Brandon. Beloved. Penny. I'm the lost sheep. Rob. Accepted. New creation. Adopted children. Will, you got one in the back? Oh, gotcha. It's like an auction. Like, you're just like, yeah. I see that hand. Less in the very back. His child. Okay, awesome. One more, Joy. What is it? 
loyal. Okay. So as I was putting this together, there's, there's a long list. I've actually been compiling a list for weeks and weeks and weeks. And um, we're wrapping this up next Sunday. Next Sunday is the 24th. Uh, that's Christmas Eve. Uh, we're doing regular services um, in Spanish and English here in, in the morning. And then in the evening, Christmas Eve, we're doing a 6 o'clock um, service just in English. So I um, invite you to be a part of all of those things. But we wrap up next week. And I thought, you know, I could have phrased every one of these in a positive light so that each is really incredibly flattering. And, um, and there's a certain temptation to sort of do that. In fact, I was just looking at my S's in my list that I've just been compiling for a long time. Listen to the S's. Salt, sheep, slaves, sons, stewards, strangers. Now, some of those would preach really well. People would be like, yeah, I love hearing about that one. Some of them would not preach really well. Like, wait, what? I'm one of those? I'm that? How could that possibly be? So here's what I did. In obedience to 2 Corinthians 4.2, I resisted softening or beautifying all of the I am statements. Here's what that passage says. That we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So it would be tempting to skip this one. And again, there's, there's a lot I could have done. But today's identity is this. You are a branch. You are a branch. And you might sit with me and go, yeah, how uninspiring is that? I'm a branch. And it sounds like just sort of a little bit diminished. But um, I tell you today, it's not. It's a really incredible thing to sit with. John 15, 5 is our memory verse, and uh, I've, I've made a little bit of an easier verse this week. Some of them have been a little bit more challenging. Um, I hope you're keeping up with that. I had a conversation with someone who said, hey, just so you know, I'm, I'm working on these. I'm, I'm pushing myself. I'm learning these. This one's been a little bit of a challenge. And so I, I love that. Having these tucked away in a book like I do, I just love seeing these all the time and just seeing these identities sort of wash over me. But John 15, 5 says this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Really, really profound truth that I just invite you to hide in your heart. So, another t-shirt idea, maybe you just have this, every day I'm abiding, right? Uh, Unlike the other idea around here, which is like, I'm hustling, I'm working, I'm networking. Every day, I'm abiding. And then I looked at this, I thought, well, the branch sounds too epic. It really should read this. Every day, I'm abiding a branch. Like, not the branch, like I am the branch, but just a simple branch. That's what Jesus is telling us. Kind of gives new meaning to the answer when you ask someone, uh, how are you doing? And they say, well, I'm hanging in there. And you're like, okay, like usually that means I'm barely hanging in there, but maybe as a branch, it just means, you know what? I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Why don't you look at this picture for a second? And you don't have to be a Napa Valley wine grower to appreciate the teaching here. You don't have to be a vine dresser. You don't have to even like grapes at all. You can look at this and imagine what it means for a vine and a branch to exist together. And what it means that apart from me, you can do nothing, and in me, you can bear much fruit. 
That's what I love about Jesus. It's simple and profound, and it just goes with you. You can take this teaching with you very, very easily. I'm going to read our whole passage this morning, and you aren't meant necessarily to read what's on the screen. I hope you'll open up to John 15 and just follow along with me. But sometimes visually seeing some words highlighted illustrates the teaching. So here's John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be may be full. So if you want to write down one kind of central truth key idea, it's really, really obvious in our text today. doesn't need, again, any kind of special training. It's just quite simply that I am a branch, so I remain in Jesus. When we look at those two passages side by side, it's the same text, just highlighting in me and bearing fruit. Abiding and bearing fruit, remain and bear fruit. That's what that is, just ping-ponging back and forth over and over and over. And you hear it, it's an invitation and it's an expectation. You are invited to come and remain in me. And when you do that, you bear much fruit, the very thing you were designed for. Let me just shoot off a couple of sort of branch vine thoughts. And uh, you, can, you can write down what might be helpful to you. Um, but two lies that began in the garden are this. One is that you are independent. One of the lies is that you are independent. This lie tells you that you are your own and you have the right to live however you want. That's lie number one. Here's a second lie that was given in the garden, that you are self-sufficient. This lie tells you that all that you need is in you. And everything you need for your identity, for your purpose, is found in you. So that's where you should look. Independent and self-sufficient. Those are two lies. This branch metaphor exposes and corrects the lies with this truth. It's that God's design is that you are dependent. God designed you to be dependent. You are not independent, but gloriously dependent. Secondly, 
um, sap and blood. I want you to compare sap and blood for a second. Sap and blood are both really annoying if they are outside of the system they are serving. Have you ever been out pruning trees, cutting trees, whatever, or just lean against a tree and there's tree sap on you, right? And there's nothing more frustrating than having tree sap on you. Some of you are allergic to it, so it gets all over your skin. It gets really annoying. How about blood? Blood stains and blood gets everywhere and blood makes people pass out. And it's just really a pain if it's not inside your body, right? If you are leaking blood, there's usually a problem there, right? So sap and blood are really, really similar in that they're annoying outside the body, but sap and blood is where the life is. Sap and blood are where the magic happens. All that life-giving power and nutrients comes from the sap, comes from your blood. And here's the key. Connection is required for both of those to take place. So if you're writing something uh, down secondly here, is that both with the body that carries blood and vines that carry sap, uh, connection is required. Here's the next one. Think about some of these phrases that we talk about when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. They become a Christian. They might say something like this. I came to Jesus. I believed in him. We use this biblical metaphor. I opened the door and he came in to my heart, to my life. I trusted him. Every phrase I just said, coming to Jesus, believing in him, opening the door, trusting him, these are all attachment terms. And so as a Christian, part of abiding means that we just continue to do that which we did at the very beginning. Did you trust Jesus at some point in your life? Do you know what abiding looks like? It means trusting him today. Did you invite Jesus into the door of your heart and your life? That means inviting him in today. Did you receive him? Did you believe him? Did you come to him? That means doing that today. One of the profound things of marriage, quite simply, is this, is to wake up each morning with a mindset that says, I receive my husband or wife like I did on my wedding day. I do. It's to wake up and say, today, I do. Not just I did 17 years ago. But I do today. That's what abiding looks like. I want you to see three specific mentions that Jesus says. In this passage, verses 7, 9, and 11, he mentions his words, his love, and his joy. His words, his love, and his joy. What abiding looks like, what this close, intimate connection looks like, is that we're not just receiving these things, but we are sharing in these things. That there's a back and a forth to this. We're sharing in them, not just receiving them. A couple more quickly. Nothing of any lasting value comes if you're not connected to Christ. This is really profound too. Of all the things you could be into, there's nothing of lasting value if you're not into Christ. If you're not in Christ. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but forfeit what? His soul. In the end, that's a ripoff. Finally, fruit proves faith. So many people look to all kinds of other things to confirm that they're a Christian. You are not confirmed in the faith by being in a family, by being a certain class of person, by church attendance, 
by good moral behavior, by Bible reading, by anything else. The fruit in your life proves the faith that you proclaim. That's a really powerful thing coming out of this. By this is my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. Connected branches are never alone. Isn't this just what Jesus promised, that we would never be alone? A woman one time saw a father shopping with a fussy two-year-old in his grocery cart. Be patient, Billy, he whispers. You can handle this, Billy. It's okay, Billy. The woman came and approached him and said, I don't mean to interrupt your shopping, but I just had to tell you how wonderfully loving and patient you are with little Billy. The man replied, actually, my son's name is Patrick. My name is Billy. (laughs) As a connected branch, you have the spirit of Jesus Christ whispering God's love, God's guidance, God's comfort, his patience, his joy, his security. He's whispering to you any moment of any day, including right now and here. What's in it for us? Like, what do we have to do? We have to listen. We just have to listen for it. Connected branches are never alone. Branches aren't left alone. And this is not only comforting, it can be annoying. And here's what I mean by that. This passage says if you're not producing, it says that you're taken away, and later it says that you're burned. And so what does that mean? That sounds pretty scary. I don't want to be one of those branches. What is it talking about exactly? Let me say really, really clearly, this is not a passage teaching that you can lose your salvation. That is a heresy. That's a false teaching. Jesus says, none of the ones that you've given to me, Father, will I lose. You cannot lose your salvation. That can't be what this is talking about. The Bible is abundantly clear elsewhere that that's not what it is. So what is 15.2 referring to? It's referring to a term we've said in here many times before, but it's the idea of apostates. What is an apostate? That sounds like a really churchy religious word. It is. An apostate is someone who has fallen away, who has gone away, and they're no longer in the camp. Think Judas with the 12 disciples. People who name Jesus but aren't truly in him. Here's the warning in this passage. There is a way to superficially be attached to Jesus Christ. Right now, we didn't go around and test everyone's fruit somehow before they could take communion to make sure they're really in Christ. You know why? That's way above our pay grade. We're not told anywhere in Scripture to do that. You're to examine yourself. But there's a way to superficially attach yourself to Jesus. It looks like showing up at church. It looks like taking communion. It looks like spouting off a lot of Bible verses. It may look like a lot of things, doing a lot of really good things, being an activist for really, really good causes. So you can superficially appear to others and yourself that you are in Christ, that you are attached to Jesus. It's the illusion of intimate relationship that isn't really there. 
If you are dating or hope to date, let me tell you a danger in dating. A danger in dating is that you focus on physical attraction and physical intimacy. Here's why that's so dangerous. If you are focused on physical attraction and physical closeness and your chemistry, it will give you the illusion that you're really, really close to this person. It will give you the illusion that you have a close, intimate relationship with this person. And while you are back at that tattoo shop, erasing the name of that person you had tattooed on your body because you thought you were so close, you have plenty of time to ponder what went wrong. Here's what went wrong. You had the illusion of intimate relationship that wasn't really there. You touched on one level, which is physical, and you denied all the other things, emotional closeness and spiritual closeness and on and on, intellectual closeness, right? So there's a way to trick yourself and be tricked into thinking you're intimately connected to Jesus when you aren't. The Bible talks about weeds and wheat, sheep and goats, branches that are connected and branches that are disconnected. Listen to what the Bible has to say about apostates. In 1 John 2.19, it says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have remained with us. They would have abided with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Abiding and pretending are not always immediately obvious to us. You ought to ask the question when you begin to entrust yourself to another person who names the name of Jesus Christ, whether you're submitting yourself and joining your life with a church, joining life with a person that you begin dating, joining in any kind of venture, is to see if it's a in-name-only Christian or a real Christian. And this idea of abiding is a part of what that's talking about. So branches that are not really connected are not left alone. They're gathered. But branches that are connected are pruned and trimmed. So, uh, and I'm not keeping up with my own slides here. Here's the second one. What about those who are in, uh, truly there? They're not left alone because they are pruned and trimmed. Pruning and trimming involves scissors, involves cutting, involves bleeding, as it were, sap leaking. It's not very pleasant to be pruned, but why do you prune? You prune so that you can bear more fruit. You prune so that you can be more healthy. And this is what God does to us. Hebrews 12, verse 5 says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Why does God discipline us? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. Guys, this whole idea of abiding is all about flourishing. It's about doing really, really, really well. This is what God is ushering you into. This is what God designed you to be. It's a process, but it's what God designed you to be. Here's your homework this week. It's pretty easy. Um, Just go to a branch on a live plant, any kind of branch, doesn't really matter, and just stare at it and observe what it is doing and what it is not doing. 
And for however long you choose to do this, just take mental note of what that branch is doing and not doing. And then ponder John 15 as you do that. I speak to my fellow branches today that God is not slow about keeping his promise, but it often feels like he is. So think about God's promise and all the things that we celebrate at Advent, all the things that we look forward to during communion, that we proclaim until the Lord comes. It feels like a long time. The abiding and remaining are going to be tested. Think about all these Christmas carols that we sing. There's so much waiting and longing in the lyrics of Christmas carols. Here's one. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Shall come. That's a future event. What does that require? Waiting. O little town. How about this one? Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. There was just a long period of waiting before the first arrival. How about this? O come all ye faithful. Why do you have to be faithful? Because your trust in the one who's to come is tested. And so you have to be faithful to last through it. Here's one more. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. That word pining is just like in anguish, longing for something to come till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. We just sang that lyric. What a great line. We are branches. Waiting is what we do. We remain. Much of the time, there's nothing to do but trust. Much of the time as a Christian, there's nowhere to go but to simply stay. And sometimes there's nothing more to know other than to know that we know the one who knows it all. This is what abiding looks like. And we can get it wrong when we take matters into our own hands and go ahead of it. But in this waiting, we rejoice. Think about this. Your relationship in Jesus Christ is built to last. Not even just 60 or 80 years like a marriage relationship. It's built to last forever. In fact, that marriage picture, that's just a foreshadow. It's just a pointer. It's a dim reflection of what is to come. So talk about resting in something. God, I remain in you because you've thought up growth. You've thought up everlasting relationships. In any relationship, you will come to a point in time where apart seems better than abide. This is true of every relationship, including your relationship with Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's a slow drift. Sometimes there's sort of active sabotage. My wife and I have talked about this, but the longer we have walked with Jesus Christ, the more we felt like God has led us, and so we're not just staying put, we're following the Savior, but we're following on this straight and narrow path that He's laid out for us, and over the years, more and more people have just drifted away in our life from Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean they've drifted from our theology, it means they have walked away from Jesus Christ. And it's one of the sad things, actually, about living a longer life is to see the breakdown of things. Many in your life have probably walked away from Jesus. In fact, I would say this. The fact that you're sitting in a church service, probably here to connect with God, means that you're probably abiding. This is what it looks like. Do you know how many people got out of the habit of going to church during the quarantine and still haven't come back? Every single church, every pastor I've ever talked to during this time, 
Everyone has said, we are dumbfounded at the people who went away from us, and they're not back. And they're not answering our calls, our check-ins, our emails, our texts, just our, hey, how are you? Where are you? They're just gone. So what does abiding look like? It means this. It means that you just keep showing up to church. You're here. It's more than that, but it's a part of it. Colossians chapter 2 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Anyone who's ever given up on Jesus hasn't just left Jesus, they've traded Jesus for something else. There is always an exchange. If I am married... And I stop being married. I am making an exchange here. I'm not just leaving Becky. I would be making a trade. So these exchanges are talked about in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, there's three groupings of it. That people are moving so far away from God, they've exchanged the glory of God for something else. They've traded the truth for something else. And then it says they've traded natural sexual relationships for something else. If you don't know the name Rosaria Butterfield, get to know her. She's an amazing author. And I'm reading a book right now called Five Lies in the Anti-Christian Age. And what she says, I think rightly so, is this, that we are inhabiting a world right now where all three of these have come to full and complete fruition. That this great exchange away from the glory of God away from the truth, and away from natural sexual relationships is wreaking chaos on our world. We had a gift exchange last night for the elder couples. And uh, in my notes today was this, that a part of why uh, there's a pull away from what we have to what we might be able to have, this temptation is the whole idea of FOMO, right? There was a show called The Price is Right, and The Price is Right is that you had something, or you could have what's behind door number two, and you wouldn't know what's behind door number two. So here's how the gift exchange went last night. We were all exchanging gifts, and we had a rule set in place that said you could take, once you touched a gift, you had to take that gift. But once you took the gift, you did not have to unwrap the gift. So of all the people, Andres grabbed one of the gifts, and he took it, and he just set it in his lap. And, he, and I, I knew I was preaching on this. And I, you could feel everyone kind of lean in. And go, Aren't you going to open that? Like, they wanted to know, is what he has better than what I have? So in a game like that, it doesn't really matter if you make a bad trade. I made a bad trade last night. But I did walk away with some cash. Thanks, hell for that. Um, but it's that fear of missing out. It's like, oh, is it's, it's what's over there better than what I have right now? No doubt, every single person in this room who has started the journey with Jesus has on many, many, many occasions wondered, is this still the right way? Am I on the right track? Am I into the right things and people? I want to wrap up our time with essentially five sort of things that would block this life-giving sap of intimate relationship, or to phrase it another way, that remaining guards you from some things. So write these down if you're taking notes. We'll wrap up with this. But 
remaining in Christ guard you from pretending. This desire to pretend. This is a life that many of us are given to, and it's really, really hard work. Think about a first date or an interview. You know how exhausting you can walk away from like an interview or a first date? Why? Because you're pretending. There's a certain sense you're putting your very best self up front and you're constantly filtering, what am I going to say? I don't want to say something to blow this whole thing up in this moment. So you get done and you have your body, you can feel it. Your body's like, whew, that was tiring. That was hard. Why? Because you were pretending. So living life this way is not abiding. When you find yourself this, when you find yourself, let me say it the positive way, when you find yourself abiding, there is a relaxed joyfulness that you go through life. You're actually energized by it. You are making a bad trade when you're pretending. It's someone else's approval or acceptance rather than God's. Here's a second one, comparing. Comparison kills on many, many, many levels. Hear me, you are free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let me tell you how this kills in the church. It kills in the church because abiding won't look the same for everyone in the church. You ever heard of someone who gets up at 5 a.m. and prays for two hours, and you're like super inspired by that? You're like, that sounds amazing. And you're so grumpy at 5 a.m. and so not with it at 5 a.m., but you try to do that. You sort of will yourself into it. Or you might hear of someone, someone like me, talking about a Bible reading program or what he did this. And you're like, I should be reading more. I should be doing this more. And so there's a sense that with comparing, your path of abiding, your path of growth can be choked out because you're constantly sort of trying to do it with someone else. If you have more than one child, you see this really, really plainly. Actually, you just need one child to see this. But parents see this really, really clearly, and that is this, that no person has the same path to growth. So if that were true, in a matter of efficiency, I would just say, all right, kids, you're all going to be into this. We're all going to do this, and it's going to cause your absolute flourishing and thriving. That is not how it goes. We have had to relearn parenting, like fundamentally relearn parenting about five or six times where we've just said, man, and then what works in one season for for one child, the same child in another season, that's not working anymore. There are whole spiritual disciplines that are not a part of my life right now. They were really meaningful to me. I picked them up for a season and I've set them down. I want to extend freedom to you. I want to to extend joy to you to say, um, don't compare with someone else. It may be the person that you're comparing yourself to uh, just likes reading more. I, I like lists. I've told you this. I like to check things off. Maybe I just like reading and checklists more. So don't compare yourself to me with something like that. Remaining means, God, I'm, I'm getting it from you. So envy is trading all the enjoyment for what you do have for all that you don't. Here's another one, pleasing. Remaining in Christ guards you from pleasing Have you caught that many other people have an agenda for you? Many, many people have an agenda for you. Thinking about who do people say that you are, what is their agenda for you? What does your boss want from you? Your boss wants to be more productive. What does your credit card company want from you? To be more in debt. What does your health club want from you? To be more fit and keep getting more fit. What do restaurants want from you? The opposite. Eat more. 
and sit and relax. Don't work. How about streaming services? What do they want from you? To binge watch. They want you to just watch more and more and more. And what does everyone's dentist want from you? Just to floss more, right? Like, would you just please floss more? That's, that's what mine always tells me. Remain in Jesus. There's no one on the planet, not even yourself, because you're not your own. There's no one who has a better agenda for your life than God. He's the one who sees the beginning from the end. So that means going to your parents. Parents are there for a season to guide and instruct and on the rest of your life to seek counsel from. Your pastors are there. Your lifelong mentors are there. But no one has the agenda for you but God alone. Abiding and remaining in him. I hope you come to a place, a crossroads, where you go, everyone else in my life is saying don't do this, but I'm utterly convinced that Jesus is calling me forward. It's Peter getting out of the boat. Jesus is bidding him. He's unmistakably clear. I don't know if there were other voices saying, Peter, don't do it. You're an impulsive idiot. Remember last time. But he does it. He gets out of the boat. And I hope there are times in your faith where you just go, man, this doesn't make any earthly sense. And all my wise counselors are telling me it's probably not. But I know this is from you, God. Follow God's agenda for your life. Here's number four, trying harder. Oh, man, so good. Remain in Jesus guards you from simply trying harder. You can't possibly work out what you need most. Trying harder works for a lot of things, but it's really, really incompetent at a lot of things. Let me give you a couple of examples. You ever just try harder to relax? You ever have a big thing tomorrow, a test or a meeting or a conversation that you're excited or dreading, and you try to fall asleep because you can't fall asleep? Trying harder to fall asleep has the opposite effect. How about trying to be more joyful, trying to be more at peace? You ever try hard to be patient? I mean, there are just things that try harder has its limits for. (sighs) Remain in me. Abide. Again, go back and stare at a branch. What is that branch trying harder to do? There's a story about a young, ambitious young person who approaches this master and he says this, I want to be your student. I want to be your best student. How long will it take? The master looks at him, he says, you must study with me for 10 years. He goes, 10 years, that's too long. What if I study twice as hard as all of your other students? And the master replies to him, he said, then it will be 20 years. There's a sense that remaining, abiding in Jesus and trying harder are incompatible. Remain. Here's the last one. The last one is impatience. Remaining in Jesus guards you from impatience. Numbers 21.4, this isn't the only time, but it simply says this, and the people became impatient on the way, and they grumbled against God and against Moses. There are people on the way to kingdom come, to the celestial city, to judgment day, to enter their glory. And along the way, they just become impatient. And they grumble against God and Moses. Anyone who's ever been on a road trip with their kids gets this. If it's getting too long and they're impatient, they grumble at the driver. How long? Why isn't it faster? What's, you know, all of that. And this impatience is seen in us as well. People are getting picked off because of impatience. 
Trade Jesus for the immediate fling and you miss out on that picture, the dance at Camden and Ava's wedding. There are good things coming that you can't even begin to imagine. But they get there. You get them by remaining, by holding on. Let me have the band come on up right now. And I close with this. I think many of us in this church would never imagine in a million years to preach any kind of message that would say that someone's salvation comes apart from the grace of God. In fact, our memory verse from last week, it is not a result of works so that no one can boast. No one in this church, I think, would preach that message. You don't work your way into salvation. But maybe this second idea is more penetrating. Salvation comes by grace, and salvation is maintained by grace. That is that there's a way of remaining, there's a way of abiding that is simply God's grace. In God's infinite grace, He welcomes your dependence. He welcomes your need for something outside of you to make you sufficient. In celebrating Jesus this morning, we can only remain because Jesus went first. What did Jesus do? He remained. He abided. What did that look like? It says, he says, I kept my father's commandments. And what did he do? He's borne much fruit. So we leave here this morning just saying, God, I can abide. I can remain because you did. And in that, I have peace. Let me pray. God, help us to watch and learn from you. I just think about Mary and Martha and just this picture of Mary being commended for sitting at your feet, Jesus, and just listening to you, learning from you, enjoying your company. God, I pray this season even, we would stay with this, God, that we would stay with this picture of a branch and that we would learn to just take a deep breath and abide, learn what it means to remain and to stay connected to you. In Jesus' name, amen.